People are gonna tell you no. People are gonna think you can't do it. That cannot deter you. You have to just keep going. That is something that I've learned by having the fortune to do this for over 20 years and being told way many more times than I've been told yes, by the way. But you know, you just have to keep going. I'm Carly Zakin. I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. This podcast is where we go deep on career advice from women who have lived it, from the good stuff like hiring and growing a team to the rough stuff like negotiating your salary and giving or getting hard feedback. We started the Skim from a Couch, so what better place to talk it all out than where it began on a couch? This show might sound a bit different today because we're skimming from three different couches. The skim is working from home for the time being because of COVID-19. Today, we have Laura Prepon joining us on Skimmed from the Couch. You know her name from her breakout role as Donna on That 70s Show or from her acting and directing career on the hit Netflix series, Orange is the New Black. Laura's new book entitled You and I as Mothers gives an honest and emotional look at navigating parenthood. Laura, we are so excited to have you with us today. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. I'm really excited to be here and to talk about this. So thanks. Also, we want to give Laura a big shout out for being one of the remote Skim from the Couch guests who just has been on it with her tech game. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Also, she reminded me to press record, which is, you know, important when you're trying to do a podcast. (laughs) Look, guys, we're all just trying to get through this together. (laughs) Let's start with you skimming your resume. Let's see. I've been doing this for over 20 years, so I'm trying to think... I became a working professional at 15. I actually moved out of the house at 15 and I moved to Europe for a year and a half and I lived there by myself. Very unconventional upbringing. Where in Europe? I lived in Italy for a year. Then I lived in France and the UK, did a little stint in Brazil. My sister, she worked for a magazine and had mentioned that I should model. I'm from a small town in Jersey. So for someone to say you should model, it was like speaking a foreign language. I had no idea what she was saying. And she was like, just go to this agency and and check it out. So I went, they signed me, and then I moved to Italy for a year. Alone? Yes, alone. We had a conversation. I talked to my mom and she's like, go. I packed my bags and I went to Italy by myself. As a mom now, I would never do that. (laughs) It's not an easy job. It's very unglamorous for as glamorous you think it is. It's very unglamorous, especially for the boots on the ground models who are like trying to just get basic work just to pay your bills. Because also in Europe at that time, which was in 1995, in Italy, they took a 50% commission, 5-0. In France, they took 60. So trying to make a living as a model is very, very hard when you're just kind of pounding the pavement every day, trying to get a job to get by. So that is really not glamorous. But I remember calling my mom and I said, I want to try this acting thing. And she said, okay, what do we have to do? And I said, I don't know. I have to learn how to act. So then I flew home And we literally took a yellow pages, the thick yellow book, yellow pages, opened it up and just pointed to some random acting coach in New York City. And I started going to classes in New York. And then within a year, I was 17 and a half at this time. I booked that 70 show. So then I moved to LA and I started that 70 show. 
And then that ran for eight years. While I was on that, I learned to direct and I was always following our director around. I learned so much from him. You know, after 70s show, I did a show called October Road. Yeah, I watched it. Yeah, I did I re- too. Yes. I told my mom I was talking to you today. She's like, I loved that show. She was on. And I was like, oh, that 70s show? She's like, no, the other one. <laughs> I loved doing that show. And then after that, I did Are You There, Chelsea, where I played Chelsea Handler and she played my sister. And then it was after that that I got Orange is the New Black. And then that we did for seven years. And that I also directed multiple episodes. So what is something not on your IMDb or Wikipedia page that we should know about you? A lot of people don't know that I used to be a really big mixed martial arts fan. I would fly around the country and go to mixed martial arts fights I was friends with a ton of fighters. I dated some fighters. I was like all about that world. I was kickboxing. I was like, I was, when was this? It, this, this was, I mean, uh, honestly for probably, I would say 10 years, I got really, really into it. I loved seeing how these fighters would train and their work ethic and how they would work out. So that, and also I used to play a ton of poker, like way too much poker. I played in the World Series twice. I actually was going to say, I knew that about you. I didn't know the mixed martial arts stuff. So that's cool. Wow. So let's talk about the book. You take your your fans and the readers back to your childhood and you really jump into, you know, the early years where, you know, you mentioned in kind of our intro, like you had an unconventional childhood, but also part of, I think, that unconventional childhood is you dealt with a lot of trauma as a kid. Kind of just set the stage of, you know, what were the things that you were dealing with and what was the family dynamic that you had at home? Well, it's interesting because because I was a working professional at such a young age, I never thought about children until I got with my husband. I think it's because now being a mother, it was the first time that I really had to look back at my childhood. And because when I first became a mother, I was so blindsided. My hormones were all over the place. When I became a mother, I was so out of control. I felt like I couldn't take care of myself. I felt like I couldn't take care of my family. I didn't know who I was. I had so much anxiety, which is not me. And naturally, I looked back to my upbringing and how I was mothered. And when I looked back at it for the first time, really, to really analyze it, there were a lot of things that I realized were not okay. There were a lot of things that were great, but there were a lot of things that were really dysfunctional. And for the first time, I thought about what those things were and how it really, truly affected me as a person and as a mother. I've always kept my personal life very private. My husband is and I are very private with our personal lives. So for me to open up the way that I do in this book, I felt like in order to really have this conversation that I felt like we weren't having about motherhood, I wanted to drop these defenses, share these truths, get this conversation going in a real way. And one of those things was that we all have complicated relationships with our parents for the most part. There's good, there's bad, there's it's and everything in between. My situation with my mother was one of those complicated situations where I really had to analyze it for the first time. And I felt it was really important to talk about because this book, while it's you and I as mothers, there's a lot of people who have read this book and that are not mothers or may choose not to be that still get so much out of it because there's things like looking back at how you were mothered and how it affects you as a person 
and or as a mother. And there's things like that that were so important to me to talk about because we were all mothered in some way or not that still affects us. You know what I mean? It's so interesting in doing prep for this interview that in seeing you from that 70s show to October Road and to Orange is a New Black, you've always come across as so confident. In this book, you bravely write about your experience suffering from an eating disorder during your early years as an actress, and you were struggling with your body image in an industry that is very focused on appearance. How did you get out of that? What was your road to recovery like? Well, you bring up a really good point, which is, yes, in my industry, unfortunately, the way that you look, there's a lot of pressure for that, which is why... I was so fortunate to be on something like Orange is the New Black because it's so celebrated women of all different shapes and ethnicities and backgrounds. But the thing about what happened with my mother, yes, she equated being thin with being successful, 100%. And another thing I had to do was look at how she was raised and get understanding because I couldn't understand why you would teach something like that to your child while teaching them all these other great things. And then you teach that kind of dysfunction that did take me years to get out of. But it's really understanding where they came from and the fact that she equated that with success and thought she was helping me. That's what was very complicated about it. And for us, for myself and my mother, it was, it was a shared secret. It was how we bonded. And because I so badly wanted to bond with my mother you know, this was how we would spend time together. And when we were growing up, my mother was always off doing some, she was this very eccentric chef. She was always off doing things at restaurants and, you know, perfecting her Peking duck recipe and all these odd, wonderful things that I grew up with. But when I did get time and spend time to hang out with her, I couldn't wait. And my father, he was an orthopedic surgeon, most amount of cases in two hospitals. We never saw him either. He was gone in the morning before we went to school and he would come home very late at night. It was a very odd upbringing, you know? And then, so when I had this time to be with my mother, it was really special. So that's what was so hard about this thing that she taught me. And the other thing too is, The reason why I struggled with this kind of dysfunctional relationship to food for so long is because you have to eat to survive. You can't just quit smoking or stop drinking alcohol or stop doing drugs and things like that. You have to eat to survive. So there's triggers all day. It got to a point where it was just, it was bad. And then when my mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, that was a game changer for me. While the bulimia, I don't think that the dysfunctional eating attributed to that. It might have, I don't know. But when that happened, I couldn't help but wonder, could it have been different if she was took better care of herself? And that was a game changer for me. And then when I got pregnant, it's like a switch flipped. And when I got pregnant, that's when everything truly shifted for me, where I would never even think of doing that kind of abuse to my body again. I appreciate you sharing that story and and that obviously very dark time in your life. This is a podcast where we really focus on people's careers. And 
every career path has seen some sort of disruption. And and what I think has been really interesting about your career path is while you were dealing with real challenges personally, you started learning about directing and learning about more that you could be doing in the industry. So I want you to kind of take us back around where you first got that exposure to directing, how you started to to really think about what your skills were and how you were going to develop them. So like I mentioned, I'd always follow around David Trainer, who directed that 70s show. And I was always very curious with what the crew was doing, what he was doing. And because I got that show at such a young age, I got most of my experience by being boots on the ground, by being immersed in it. And I just tried to soak up any kind of information that I could. My first movie I ever did was this little movie in Coleman, Alabama called Lightning Bug. And I remember doing this movie and it was my first time being on location as an actor. And we were in the middle of this muddy field and I saw this group of guys because it it was a group of guys standing around with a van and a camera. And I went up to this director and I was like, who are this group of guys over there? And they said, well, that's the second unit. And I said, okay, why are they just standing around? And he said, well, my second unit director quit. And I said, okay, cool. I'm off for the next two days. Give them to me and I'll go get the shots. And he said, do you know how to direct? And I was like, of course. I had no idea, (laughs) by the way. I had only followed around David Trainer on the set. For your listeners who might not know, second unit does all of the, you know, like the montage shots establishing tone and feel. So I had to get a guy riding by on a tractor or film in a chicken farm or a shot of the lead character's car without them in it, but someone else driving it. I got a list of 16 of those shots. So I went out with this, with this group of guys, we jumped in the van and then we just like pinged off all 16 of these shots. And then my director saw the shots, the dailies, and he was like, these are great. You're the second unit director. So then these guys became my crew. And then when I wasn't filming and acting, I would go get the second unit shots. And then that was how I really started from there. I, I had a friend whose father taught film at a local college to where I would shoot that 70 show. I tracked this guy down and I wouldn't leave him alone. I'm like, I need to learn how to direct. I need to go to school to learn this because I wanted to be able to communicate with my crew and know what I was doing. He would teach during the day his college classes and then put me through the film school at night. I would film 70s during the day and then I would go to film school with him at night. And then after that, I really just wanted to stay sharp and I really wanted to just keep learning and learning. So I created this web series called Neighbros with two of my friends and they're still on YouTube somewhere. I'm totally looking this up after. (laughs) What's crazy is I was a one woman crew. So I would direct it, edit it. I was the sound person and I taught myself how to edit and I would edit them together. And I would just ask friends to help me. I had two friends who were editors I was just like, please come over and just teach me how to edit shortcuts, this, that. And then it was just hour after hour after hour learning how to edit. It was such a learning experience for me. I can't even tell you. I want to put this in perspective. You're young. You're on a hit, hit TV show, that 70s show at the time. You are making money. And I think that a lot of people probably would have been enjoying that and going out and living it up. And instead, you are learning this whole new skill set and really thinking about, you know, the next step. What was it 
looking back on that moment in time for you, what was it that you think was pushing you to do that and not just be like, oh, hey, I'm Donna. I'm making money. This is awesome. This is it. It's such a good question. And I love talking about this stuff. You're totally right. I was on a hit show. It was amazing. I saw peers around me who were just kind of resting on their laurels and just kind of like partying and doing whatever. And look, of course, go out, have a good time. But at the end of the day, I was taking that time to learn these new crafts and these new tools. I innately had it in me to always have work ethic. For me personally, I always had this drive where I don't want to just rest back. I want to learn as much as I can because one thing I did learn was, especially in my profession, when you get an opportunity, because it's so hard to get an opportunity that truly matters in a lot of different industry, when you get that opportunity, you have to kill it. And you have to be ready. Like when I finally got my opportunity to direct Orange when I was like hounding Genji for so long to finally get my shot, and then I got it, I had to kill it. And because I had done all of this work on my own, on my own free time, and knowing that I could do that, and knowing that I taught myself how to edit. So on something like Orange is the New Black, there are so many people to, to cover in one scene. And time is always a factor as a director. And there's times where something happens or something happens with an actor or a piece of equipment fails or, you know, there's always stuff that happens that'll set you back on time. Because I taught myself to edit in this professional situation with all these pros, in my head, I'm editing as we go and I know what shots we can drop, what shots we need. So for me, it was just about just staying sharp so that when you get the opportunity, you kill it. And that's one thing that I hope your listeners, whatever their interest is, especially now with being in quarantine, use this time. Look at videos on YouTube, like use this time to really hone in on a craft that you like and get good at it so that when the world is back up again, go out and do it. I love this lesson. And I think, you know, we talk about hustle a lot on this show and I think you obviously are, are showing what that looks like. What do you think is the best way to approach your supervisor or boss or what have you when you do have that craft, when you have actually been working behind the scenes, how do you avoid the feedback of like, stay in your own lane? I've gotten that feedback many times, <laughs> many times. And especially as a woman, let me tell you, wanting to break into directing my own agent who was representing me knew I wanted to direct, but I wasn't making money as a director yet. But I would constantly say, I want to direct, I want to direct. And I wasn't getting the opportunity to do it. One day she looked at me and I was in her office and she said, Laura, look, it's never going to happen. She's like, you're an actress. It's going to be really hard to break into directing. And by the way, she'd never seen anything I directed. And I said, okay. The next day I fired her. And then I kept just doing it and doing it and doing it and just learning my craft. And then I get the shot to direct on Orange, and it was incredible. So for your listeners out there, it's like I was told things by my own team that it's not going to happen, and it's really heartbreaking, but you have to just persist. It's not easy or else everybody would do it. So whatever profession you're in or whatever you want to get into, you hear this kind of thing about don't take no for an answer or whatever, but... You have to just keep going. You cannot let people 
tell you no. People are going to tell you no. So just get ready. People are going to tell you no. People are going to think you can't do it. That cannot deter you. You have to just keep going. And that is something that I've learned by having the fortune to do this for over 20 years and being told way many more times than I've been told yes, by the way. But, you know, you just have to keep going. Even now, I've directed multiple episodes of Orange and there's this whole new support around female directors. I got to tell you, it is still really tough. It is still a man's game. We have to change things and we just have to keep doing it. So I want to talk about another thing that makes it tough. You write that in society, there's a, quote, macho approach to maternity. You returned to set six weeks after giving birth to your first child. And you wore that as what you said as, as a badge of honor. But that must have been really fucking hard. How do you think about that pressure that you felt or even the pride to get back to work kind of as quickly as you can? It was a lot of pressure. The thing that was weird for even me to understand was it took me writing this book to realize why did I feel like I needed that macho approach to maternity? Why was that even necessary for me to go back to work and prove to people that I'm not affected, nothing's changed, I'm going to kill my job just the way I did before I had a baby. But it's like, I am changed. I'm a mother. And I am changed in the most amazing way. I would never want to go back. I often say that when I became a mother, I woke up. My priorities are so shifted. The way that I approach my art is completely different. But in the process of writing this book, I did have to look back at that and see why did I feel like, number one, that I needed to prove myself again, now that I'm a mother and just had a baby. And it was something that I really didn't realize I was doing. And that's not necessary. It's okay to admit that we don't have everything figured out. There's nothing wrong with that. We don't have anything to prove. And that's another reason why I wanted to have this conversation in the book, talk to you guys right now. The conversation does need to be had. And you know, the mom guilt that comes with going back to work so quickly, the fact that we feel like we need to overcompensate so nobody knows that we're struggling. And while being a mom is the most magical, incredible thing, it's also the hardest thing I've ever experienced and the scariest thing to protect your children. That was crippling to me in the beginning emotionally. And it's taken me a long time to get a handle on that. But I definitely had that approach going back to work. And this time, very different because the process of writing this book really allowed me to reflect on that, analyze it, look at it, and realize that doesn't have to be the case. There's also a a certain aspect of you have to believe in yourself and know your capabilities. I didn't have to put that monster approach on because I know that I've done enough of really hard work so that I will be able to handle the situation when I go back to work. But it's those moments where you have to believe in yourself that you'll know what to do. One of the the more heartbreaking parts of of your book is when you talk about a very personal time that you lost control, really, which was how you had to tap into that inner strength once again during your second pregnancy. Do you mind sharing that story for our listeners? So after my daughter was born, I was filming Orange and I got pregnant again. And we were so excited to have a sibling for our daughter. When you get into your second trimester you feel like you're in the clear. You're always told by the different things that you read and your doctors that 
once you get into the second trimester, you're usually safer from miscarriage. You're usually kind of then on the road to having the baby and things are good. And usually when you get to your second trimester, you can announce it to your family and things like that. So for us, we had gotten into the second trimester. We got all this testing done and and everything came back perfectly normal. There was one little thing that that was a a measurement that was slightly off, but it wasn't alarming. And then in the second trimester, we found out that there were some devastating health issues with the baby that we had no idea. We basically found out that the baby's lymphatic system was outside of its body in a sack. So I knew when the lymphatic system was outside of the baby's body, this was really, really bad. You know, I was like, is there anything we can do? My husband and I often say that it was, whenever this comes up, it was the worst day of our lives when we found out that the baby wouldn't even survive and that I was at risk caring any longer. Because you never think that this is going to happen to you. And then when it does, it puts things into perspective in a way that you'd never imagined. So then we weren't left with any options. So we had to terminate the pregnancy. I was in the middle of filming Orange and it was real, and I was very, very private about this. Nobody knew. You're trying to grasp for, for some reason of like, why did this happen? Why did this have to happen? And then you start grasping for answers. Did I do a stunt at work that like knocked something loose and did something? Did I eat something wrong? Was I under too much stress? Did I do something to hard on my body. Like you try to grasp for answers. No, I didn't do anything at work that attributed to this. And no, it's not because of something I ate or whatever, but you're trying to grasp for some answer to make it make sense because it just doesn't make any sense. And it's so devastating. And after that, I dealt with a lot of shame and a lot of anger towards my body. And it took me a long time to get out of that. And I talk about in the book, different tools that I used to get back in communication with my body and to be able to be open again. And it took me a long time to get to a point where I was then able to get pregnant again. And I did a lot of self-work that I would do daily because I was so angry at my body and I felt like I, my, I was angry because I couldn't grow another healthy sibling for my daughter, which was not rational. I started doing this thing where I would place my hands on my body parts and just say, I love you. Like, I love you arms. I love you neck. I love you chest. I love you belly. And I would literally every day I would do this exercise that got me back in communication with myself. And then I was at a point where once I got pregnant again, then every day I would put my hands on my belly and I would just out loud, I would just say these things, just putting intention there that it's a safe place for the baby to grow and that your body can do this and it's going to be a healthy beautiful experience like I would do these things every day and it really helped me a lot you talked about how you kept what you were going through tried to keep it as private as possible while you were still working obviously we are all in a very unique situation right now in the world and, you know, have no idea how much longer it will last and how long we will be working from home if we're still employed and just dealing with so much pressure, taking care of families and ourselves. So I'm curious, like what you would say to listeners right now who are all dealing with different things and different fears and different burdens while at home, but also trying to either 
figure out what their next steps might be in seeking employment or trying to keep their current job, how to sort of find any semblance of a balance. And we're always careful to use that word on this show, but I think any sort of sense of normalcy or balance right now is helpful for people. So I'm curious what your advice is. I think for me, it's just about not being so hard on yourself right now and cutting yourself a little bit of slack. It is really scary. Speaking for myself, who knows what's going on with the industry that I'm in? Who knows what's going to happen with cinema? Every set is shut down. Nobody can go to work. There's a lot of unknown. The thing for me is I just have to create. That's what helps me keep my sanity. That's me personally. Look, being an actor, you go into a room and with so many different jobs, it's like you put yourself out there, you go into a room, you put yourself out there, and then it's somebody else's decision whether you get that thing or not. And it's such a lack of control for you, you know? So I have my own ways of dealing with that. One being that there's only one you, which is so true. There's one you and nobody else is going to do that particular thing the way that you do. And really leaning into that is something that's going to give you an edge like you would not believe. So it's just really leaning into that. When I was coming up and being told no all the time and you're constantly putting yourself in another person's hands, the way that I could have control over my own life was by something that I create myself. Getting ready so when I got the opportunity to get in there, I knew I would kill it. So things like that really gave me a sense of control and independence back in a world that's unsure. So I kind of apply that same thing now where things are very uncertain, but what I can control is my own emotional and mental state of mind. And the way that I try to stay healthy in that is by creating, writing, doing my, my, my things with food, my preparation, food videos on YouTube, things that I can do for my home really helps my sanity. So I think it's just, if you're on hold on your job right now, which so many people are, so many of my friends, their businesses are shut down right now. Find something that you can be working on right now. If you're a chef, watch Masterclass, watch Thomas Keller, and pick up a new trick and get really, really good at it. If you're a writer, watch Shonda Rhimes or Aaron Sorkin or David Mamet and get tools and really sharpen that blade so when the world is back up again, you have this extra thing in your tool case that you can be even better at your job. And I think it's like no matter what your profession is, try to use this time creatively to get better at it and hone in so that when you do have that opportunity, you can be that much better and that much more successful. That's what I'm personally doing to try to keep my sanity in all this. That's great advice. Thank you for sharing. We want to go quickly to our last segment, our work from home lightning round. Are you a morning person or a night owl? I would say a morning person. What's replaced your morning commute now that we're all just in our homes. Feeding my newborn. <laughs> Can you skim your nighttime routine? My nighttime routine is I bathe my toddler. I do story time with my toddler, put her to bed, finish getting dinner prepped. My husband and I, we feed the baby. The baby goes to sleep. My husband and I eat dinner. We might watch an episode of Tiger King. <laughs> <laughs> and then we go to sleep and then wake up early again to wake up with our toddler and our newborn. And then we're up a lot throughout the night, you know, because we have a baby. So we're up a lot throughout the night, feeding the baby, taking care of the baby in a sleepy haze. And then we actually are like alert again in the morning. 
other than Tiger King, what is the last uh, show that you binge watched? <laughs> you know, anything David Attenborough. We love David Attenborough. So literally, we'll go on to Netflix or iTunes or whatever and just type in David Attenborough. I have a, I have a final personal question. Um, Ashton or Mila? Oh, man, that's tough. Oh, Mila. Mila's part of my mom squad. I got to say Mila. Okay. Oh, okay. good. That's the answer we were hoping for. Laura, thank you so much. Congratulations on everything. And we wish you all the best. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a treat. Hi, everyone. We're trying something new. During this time of economic uncertainty, we want to take a moment to spotlight some new female-founded companies. We've heard from many incredible skimmers who are leading small businesses, and we will be introducing them to you each week on Skim from the Couch. See the link in our episode description for how to submit yourself or a friend. My name is Kendall Bird. I'm from Los Angeles, and I am the co-founder and CEO of Frame. Frame is a mental health platform that makes it easier for people to connect with therapists, both in person and digitally. Our company is really on a mission to change the way people think about therapy. You know, we want to help people understand what actually happens in therapy, and we also want to celebrate those who are using it as a tool to improve their mental health. On our platform, we offer two key services. Our first service is our digital workshops. And these are live stream discussions between therapists and volunteer participants that you can watch anonymously from the comfort of your own home. We really wanted to create this product so that people could get a sense for what therapy was really like. Our second service is really catered towards people who are ready to work with their own therapist. This is our therapy matching tool. So if you answer a couple quick questions, we'll match you with the therapist that's right for your needs. People are experiencing unprecedented levels of anxiety and depression. And I am so proud of our team that we were able to push up our launch of our product so that we could offer immediate resources to people who are you know, suffering at home right now. This global pandemic has collectively shifted our perception of mental health and made people more aware of the importance of it. And um, our team at Frame is really hoping to build on this in a positive way and continue to spread awareness about therapy and the importance of mental health. Right now, we're really focused on collecting as much feedback from our users so that we can improve our own product. We're also equally as focused on helping the therapists that are on our platform. So for anyone who is curious about therapy, feeling anxious or a little depressed at home, we would love if you would visit tryframe.com and test out one of our digital workshops. They're all completely free. And we also offer live workshops every week that you can sign up for and participate anonymously in. And we're just really trying to get more people to understand how therapy can help. And so we'd love and really appreciate if you give us a shot. Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot com. Two M's for a little something extra.